Had you seen this before? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. I have. I had, you. I had seen it once before as well, and um, I enjoyed it. It had been a while. I, I hadn't seen it since then, so it was cool to revisit it for this episode. Yeah, it's pretty dope. Um, it uh, it's real. We're in this like really interesting time, and I I, I love it because um, it seems like uh, in the heyday of like eighties, there was like certain people attached to certain horror movies where it's like, oh wow, that's cool that that special effects designer also did this other thing, or that director's doing this thing, and it feels like we've shifted now into like fight directors and fight choreographers are the guys where it's like, oh, they know how to make a good movie. Yeah, mm -hmm. I'll go watch that because of them, you know? And it's so interesting because, like, of this group of people, this guy who directed this movie was an uncredited co-director for John Wick. And then, you know, he went on to do Deadpool and this one and uh, Hobbs and Shaw, you know? And it, it, it's really interesting that it's like there's a, a, a oh and he produced nobody right so it's right. like there's a few people producing a lot of like really awesome action movies you know that all have worked together you know mm -hmm. it's really cool and it seems like that's what's happening with action movies right now is now it's like oh who's the fight choreographer who's the director oh I'll go see that now because of all the other shit that's been really cool that they've done you know mm -hmm. so pretty awesome yeah it is it's it's neat to see and you know it's it's difficult to look at one of these and not think of the others and yeah i i think there's maybe a slightly negative connotation to that as well because because of that sort of attachment you know someone might be less willing to judge a movie like this on its own merits because of the john wick connection because I've seen that come up in a lot of people's reviews as well, but we we can talk about you, that later on. Sure. Yes. I, I would like to expand on that. All because right. Part of me thinks it's kind of silly to, to do that, but we'll get there. We'll get there. So, yeah, we'll be talking about Atomic Blonde some more in uh, just a minute. But you're like, well, you know, we should be more thoughtful and I, I want to be a sledgehammer bam right right on someone's forehead <laughs> all right well let's uh let's get into that then so first like does anyone really care that avatar 2 is coming out i i mean i don't care i i don't know anyone who cares you know, since the first Avatar came out, we've had the entire MCU happen, right? And now, like, Avatar 2 is finally coming out. And it's supposed to be, like, the end. It's supposed to be this great thing. Dude, it just came out that Avatar 2 was, like, so expensive that it's going to cost, like, it has to gross $2 billion to make a profit. Wow. What? Like, y you're so... Your ego is so big that you think that that's tangible. Like, what do you think you're going to do? Like, $3 billion on this movie? When you say Down you, four. you're referring to James Cameron. I, yes, him. Particularly okay. him. He, James Cameron, believes that, like, my movies are so good that just the first run is going to make over two billion dollars give me a break i just like what the hell you know um and then on top of that like the movie's gonna be like over three hours like and he had an argument james cameron was basically telling studio heads to like get the hell out of his office because he they said like you need to shorten this and he's like, I'm James Cameron. I can do what I want. Mm -hmm. And it's like, yeah, that's to a certain extent. Yeah, you can do what you want. You've made money hand over fist. But Avatar in particular, we've said it before, is just dances with wolves in space, you know. Mm -hmm. So it kind of blows my mind that that guy thinks he can do, like, he's so good at what he does 
he thinks that he can make that type of money and he thinks he can say like, no, I'm doing everything accurate. I think that's like the problem uh, that I have right now. I don't believe that Avatar was particularly great. I thought it was mediocre. The special effects at the time were really good. Yeah. You know, there's no it denying Broke some new that ground with the 3D all. technology. Of course. Yeah. There's not an argument in that, but it's like, okay, man. Like it's it's the story, unobtainium. Okay. Unobtainium. You know, I'm I'm not especially excited about Avatar two. I mean, you know, to your point about we've had the entire MCU happen, um, which has gone on for more than ten years. So it's it's been more than ten years since we've had Avatar. There, there are people that are excited about it. Um, I I was asking someone, it it, it worked there like. You know, I was like, well, I'm I'm pretty much done with movies like till the end of the year, and I'm like, oh, Avatar is coming out at Christmas. Like, really? We're still excited for that? Like, oh, well, yeah, but they loved the other one. I never felt that connection. Um, it'll be interesting no. to see if this is some, you know, repeat lightning in a bottle worldwide phenomenon like the first one was, because the whole thing with you know your three hour movie that cost two billion dollars is that you can't show it as many times in a day. So you, you right there, the run has to go on for longer or more yes. and, and more people have to attend every one of those three hour shows in order right. to climb that mountain. So, um, Hey, if he can do it, hats off. Um, I'm that goal. I'm not going to go unattainable. I'm not going to go see it. Oh, I see where you're going, Mr. Comedy Man. Yeah. It's my dad joke for the day. No, I just, I, you know, he... Part of me will always love James Cameron for making Aliens. But it's just kind of getting annoying. His attitude of trying to be the best, trying to be the biggest, is so frustrating. Like, Endgame comes out, destroys box office records... And his response is not to congratulate the MCU for doing something spectacular. It's to put Avatar back in the theater so he can still say that Avatar is number one. You know, it's like, bro, no one cares. That's all. That's what I got. How about you? No, I agree. I, I think Charlize Theron is actually a badass in real life <laughs> because, you know, to be 40 she was 40 when she made this movie oh wow and still well, just yeah. thoroughly capable of that um but keanu reeves is 50 she's you know? done some incredible things too i mean not just in this movie but in the uh mad max fury road oh yeah um she was kind of a turn of the century action star as well because like there was that string of like the italian job you yeah. know flux mm -hmm. yeah no but i don't I, I don't know if it was like this before like this this movie well i mean we've Road. gone so like hy hyper kinetic with you know what's possible and you know the the technical aspects of filming it but that's also very much part of like the John Wick brand, you know, like we've really refined that. It, I think, I think it delivers on the promise of what people thought they were watching during like the born identity type stuff where it was like shaky and like, you couldn't really tell what was going on, but now yeah. you can actually tell what's going on and you see yeah. all of it. And it's just so well worked out. Yeah. Um, but let's let's talk about the movie. Let's get into this. Yes, yes, sir. Aye, aye, Captain. Why did you want to talk about this movie? This was your recommendation, so it you was, gotta introduce this. Yeah, I just I hadn't seen it in a long time, and you know, I just wanted to do something a little, you know, spin our wheels in a different direction. And you know, we've hit John Wick and nobody, and I just felt like you know what we should. Atomic Blonde because it's it's part part of, of that expanded universe, I guess. I 
I hope they don't do that. Word. Yeah. I don't think they're going to. This was based. I don't think so either. Yeah, this was based on a, a graphic novel called yeah. The Coldest City, mm -hmm. which was put out by Oni Press, which was the same publisher that did the Scott Pilgrim comic books. I don't know if okay. you checked any of those out. Um, this, the Scott Pilgrim stuff or the, this one, The Coldest City? Either. Yeah. No. <laughs> yeah i i read the first scott pilgrim book because there's like six of them because the first one was like free on prime reading so it's like yeah you know download that check it out it was cool you know and i we're not talking about that but it, when i was looking into this and just saw the oni press connection it's like oh you know what they do some interesting things what else have they done besides these two well, this was like, oh, they did this. This is really an interesting thing because they're so completely different. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, I didn't know if there was like other examples. So Not off the top of my head. I'm, okay. I'm a peasant when it comes to that stuff. You know, I read comic books, but my uh, that, that is about the extent of my knowledge on the subject other than they're clearly an interesting publisher because they take chances on things like this. Anyway, um, I didn't find a ton of research about the movie, but I did look into the graphic novel. So I, I got some tidbits on that. There, there's a couple differences. Okay. Uh, you know, it's like what? Well, it's black and white for one thing. So it's just stark black and white. And this movie is very colorful. I. I would kind of disagree in that the majority of the movie is like that blue tone because it's supposed to be feel cold. That's mm -hmm. the graphic novel title and it takes place in winter. Yeah. The only time you see color is like night clothes. Well, you know? and there's that whole punk rock aesthetic when they do the graffiti and the set the scene. Right. You know, there, there's a lot of reds and purples in there. But I mean, just because it's blue, like it, it's very sterile, but they use color pretty, pretty effectively. Yeah, like, I, I mean, I would I would once again push back a little bit because it's like I think like when you say like they they used it appropriately. Yes, because the, the, it's like this movie, I feel like I should only watch it in the summer because that would give me a barrier to how cold this movie feels, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? It's it's so crazy how well they did that. And I think that's like amazing when they're able to use color in a very specific way to generate that type of feeling. It's I feel like that's becoming more rare is to use color in movies as a way to project like emotions, you know? Uh, it seems like a lot of things are stereo, sterile, Kind of like the MCU. MCU is colorful, but it's all the same colors, you know. Uh, so it's less stylized. This one is more stylized. I do agree with that. I just push back a little bit that it's super colorful, you know, because it's like I do remember, like, you know, when they're in the nightclub when she's getting the, uh, she's getting like a drink at a bar or something, and she meets the other second agent. It's like that's super colorful. There's these huge like very dark darks and then like a lot of neon which is awesome it's the same type of thing in pacific rim uh it's just that's the majority of the movie where i feel like in this one they use that color very sparingly you know uh so that's my only pushback so yeah i mean you see it other times too like when she's getting into the tub full of ice after just getting thrown around constantly but I, I don't know, it felt very colorful to me because of the use of color as a character. You know, not to say that colorful means here's the entire rainbow, you know. But because the look of it was very rich. So I, I think we're maybe just kind of like working the idea of color at a slightly different angle. Yeah, I mean, when I think colorful, it's like, I, I would say that the difference for me is that w colorful means like robust. That's the general like 
that like oh someone says it's colorful it's like yeah they used every damn one of them yeah, okay. <laughs> you know like where it's like i don't feel like they did in this one i feel i feel like they used a ton of blues a lot of dark saturated blacks and then sparingly with neon colors you know and that uh, icy so blonde that's, that's, always step stands out right right so that's why there's a difference if you're saying it's like colorful and like you use appropriate way to use color yes just like it's a difference of opinion i guess finally we agree on something <laughs> possibly <laughs> it depends on how facetious i want to be <laughs> i mean sorry you're talking to a graphic designer yeah all there. right all right <laughs> you know it's kind of my thing uh-huh <laughs> so, uh, at least that's what they tell me I don't, I don't know who they is, but, you know, those the, people. The famous they, huh? Yeah. <laughs> uh, Mo moving on. Yeah. What do you think about the use of music? Yeah, I think it's really good. I think that um, there are times when, like, music can be done, or music from a time frame can be used really effectively. And I think the, the, like, it's like they, I, I did read into this because this is what I felt interesting. Most of the music was made before 1987 to fit into their timeline for this movie, except like one song. And that was like, a, I, I don't even remember what it was, but it was made in 1988. And the reason why I find that so amusing is because it's like, the movie takes place in 1989 at the fall of the Berlin Wall, mm -hmm. right? So that's just so much extra effort to fact check when certain 80s songs were made, you know? And, and I'm sure there would have been people like, sir, sir, this was made in 1990. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> this music, you know, because you'll have a carryover of a couple of years in between like certain eras of music, you know, but um, where it kind of sounds like, from then you know but yeah i just I, I like that attention to detail and then they also they did a re a remake of blue monday which was the yeah you know mm -hmm. i really like this version i actually have it uh in a uh, my like i have a a playlist on spotify that's like five thousand songs at this point and it's like that's the blue monday <laughs> that's in that playlist and not the one by that other weird group what's it called uh, they, they did a song in like the 2000s they remade it and then there was like the one from the 80s orgy but this one yeah orgy i was gonna say like isn't it like orgasm <laughs> like, uh -huh. no it's just orgy uh i like this one a lot um and i feel like it fits the tone of the movie better than the original did like that synthesizer tone. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's pretty awesome. Um, the difference is when I see a movie like Watchmen and they're using almost the same era of songs, it's so annoying in that movie because it's like every two minutes there's a new 1980s song thrown in there. I was like, see, we're in the 80s. We're doing it in the 80s. And yeah. that gets annoying. There... This one... They did it, it wasn't annoying. I can go into why it wasn't annoying, but um Well, I, I think it's pretty simple why it's not annoying is because in Watchmen they're using it for very on the nose purposes like Hallelujah when two characters are making love or Hello Darkness My Old Friend, you know, the sound of silence when we're playing over a funeral. You right. know, it's it's like we, we, we gotta have that needle drop moment, you know yeah it's that movie in particular was so annoying where it's like i felt like i was getting taken out of the movie mm -hmm. um but this one I, I didn't feel like that primarily because it's like they didn't use a ton of 80s music and it would stop and start like the same song would stop and start in between action sequences it was really cool um or like that blue monday song they played i think at the beginning of the movie not like at the very start, but somewhere in the beginning, 
And then they actually just took a middle segment of that towards the end of the movie when she's getting into the car after the hallway fight sequence. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's like they were using bits and pieces of the music, not like the entire song. So, yeah. And then they would do interesting things with it, too, where like it would drop out almost like you're hearing it from the other car. And then when the car hits her, like now it's back full and we're. Yeah. Um, nobody kind of did stuff like that, too. I don't have a specific example off the top of my head, but I just just rewatched that recently. Which got me kind of thinking about this, where it's like, yeah, you know, I'd kind of like to see this one again. Yeah. Produced by the same director of this movie. Nobody is. Yes, right. We've mentioned that a a bunch of times. And, you know, that's something we can talk about, too, because we kind of hinted at that earlier, where I think because of those connections, certain people just kind of lump all of them together. Well, yeah, I mean, we mentioned the... when you you said that there's a criticism that people levy against nobody, this movie, John Wick, um, that like, oh, it's the same people. Like, it's going to be the same movie. I, I think that's like a really lazy thing to do. And maybe that's just a current thing to do, right? Because these movies all came out so close together. Compare that to the 80s, right? with horror movies i compare a lot of these two movements kind of the same way where it's like director stunt choreographer right now with these awesome action movies and then like special effects designers and directors of 80s horror seem very similar moving like how they're going forward i don't think the same criticism was levied against any one of these horror movies when it was like oh it's the same director same special effects guy it was more of a celebration like oh i can't believe they're working together again let's go see what they've cooked up this time and now now the criticism is like why are these all why are all of these people working together again i think that's unfair you know yeah I think the reason that they keep working together is they know how to make a good fucking action movie. And it's really interesting that this group of people is responsible for a lot of these awesome movies that we're seeing right now, you know, action movies, like these fight sequences are incredible. You know, um, I think it's something to be celebrated, not something that uh, should be levied at a movie for lack of creativity you know yeah that's my thing it it is kind of a lazy criticism and i i don't know what the you know reason for that is where it like it's it's okay to do that for like this group of movies but not that group of movies because the the fans definitely like to go back to your 80s analogy the fans definitely weren't saying that your siskel and eberts were where it's like oh here's another west craven doing the same thing with the same people you know Criticism has gotten so just weird and out of hand where it's like people just grasp at straws and there's always someone out there that'll just agree with them regardless of how thoughtful it is or not. And yes, I I, I think people are just a a little too quick to try and dunk on something because it gives them like some false sense of like intellectual superiority, even though it's not really a thoughtful or constructive or even meaningful criticism, you know, like in this yes. case, cause it's like, well, so what same people work together? Like, yeah, yeah. Who, obviously. Who <laughs> like, yeah. I, I'm, I'm sorry. You didn't want like well thought out choreography and action sequences. I don't know. Like that. Let's talk about the fucking stairway fight sequence into the apartment. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. Like the whole thing, like I've watched it so many times and it, it's so well done my question to the people that would levy that criticism right oh it's the same people again they're just doing the same stuff it's like well do you want that to be not exciting because it's like they all have worked together why would you not want them to work together again to pull off to grab that lightning and stuff it in a bottle Mm -hmm. so to speak you know it's like they know what they're doing, so let them do what they know how to do, you know. Uh, it's incredible. Um, 
Charlize looks like a badass. Uh, I because she is. <laughs> yeah, she is, and it's like when you watch it, there's like glass flying everywhere, and it's just like the brutality of it's so intense that by the end of it, it's like yeah, they're probably just like they're both on the floor, they've beat the hell out of each other, right? And they're trying to get back up to have one of them finish the job, so mm -hmm. to speak, to kill the other one. Yeah. And it's just like you feel the pain. You feel like the ribs, you know, hurting. It's like, man, all that glass is probably cutting up their hands as they're trying to get up. You know, it's like, that's amazing. You want that. You want that visceral feeling in an action sequence. You want to feel like you're in the same room. They pulled it off, you know, and how tired they are. And then every punch that's thrown actually looks like it hits them too you know there's not weird camera tricks it's like there's a couple scenes where like Charlize gets punched right in the stomach and her reaction looks like it hit her not that she's acting like she got hit mm -hmm. you know so hats off to them hats off to Charlize hats off to the choreography and the direction you know it's no superb. yeah and it it really does feel like they're trying to kill each other you know i mean you got these yeah. un unstoppable terminators that can take <laughs> yeah, inhuman right? amounts of pain from uh you know this this smaller woman but no i mean it really does look like like you said visceral like they're out just trying to murder and each other, each other. Yeah. yeah uh and it's exhilarating um and the sound effect design in it too is great you know um there's some particularly gross sounds in there where it's like for at least stab some guy in the neck with the knife and like, he pulls it out because it's not like in the side of the neck it's more of like where the neck meets like the upper body mm -hmm. right so he pulls it out but you can hear like the slushing sound of like the blood being released in the exit wound or then like in the wound after he pulls out the knife where it's just like this water running sound it's like that's gross <laughs> like yeah but all of that together creates this like very polished package where it allows you to feel those things and to have that come across of real dire straits you know and to feel like i don't know if my hero is going to get out of this one feeling is hard to do now i think in an action movie which you know? is interesting because as a framing device you kind of already know that she's survived you don't really know what's happening because of the whole debriefing that they're using to you know exactly have her explain herself um it's it's not just exciting for the sake of of being exciting it also really kind of feeds into what i i feel is like the overall um mantra of this movie and you know a, a lot of these movies are, are very much of like you know because you, you think of like spy fiction and you, you know you have like the little more glamorous like the james bond or mission impossible whereas this is more of like no no, no this th it takes a toll <laughs> like there's a human toll um this is a terrible job there's nothing glamorous <laughs> about it no you know especially as everybody just winds up dead or double crossing everyone yeah yeah it's almost like departed by the end of it just not so fast right <laughs> the departed's like oh yeah everyone everyone killed each other right in the uh, elevator because everyone was double crossing each other did <laughs> a little bit more drawn out but yeah it's the same type of thing right <laughs> so. did, did you have uh in, any problem like following the plot of this movie as you were watching it i did the first time the second time it was easier mm -hmm. you know um it's not that this is a highbrow action movie but there's a lot of spy talk in this movie mm -hmm. right so of like this person's coming to do this or you should trust this person because of that or twists that kind of are subtle right so sometimes the people you think are good people are bad people and those details to know like 
what side of the fence everyone's on gets a little muddy throughout this movie that I guess that would be my only complaint about it is that there needed it seemed like there needed to be a little bit more of um finger pointing in the story to make it easier to understand does that make sense like, yeah no it it does but i i think because i i agree with you because the, there is so much like blinking you miss it spy mcguffin nonsense you know but but in trying to make it gritty and realistic like that is the actual spy mcguffin you know sure and yeah. th but there's certain movies that they they have this same kind of like just super dry tone and like they want to get it so accurate you know and maybe they do but it's just bores me to tears when i'm watching it um yeah yeah, th yeah. there are a couple movies like that where um i, I Robert De Niro directed one is called the the Good Shepherd. It was about the form oh the formation of the CIA, and yes. that that was so dry and and I felt like it you know is very well researched, but the research was more interesting than the movie, you know, and and it almost like look how well we've researched this that it's like well you know I don't care <laughs> about the story anymore. And I totally, I totally understand. Because the reason why I'm laughing is because I've seen Good Shepherd a few times now, just to try my best to piece it together because mm -hmm. it's it's a really interesting story, but done in the most boring way. <laughs> That's and it's like where I need to know the details. And it's it's one of those movies where it seems like it's pretty straightforward. I'm talking about Good Shepherd still. Yeah. It seems like it's pretty straightforward. But it's the meaning between the lines that you have to cipher out. So that's that's a problem for me when there isn't. It's like I need a break from my brain going in overdrive, trying to piece together this mental jigsaw puzzle. I need a little bit less of that and a little bit of you just telling me exactly what's happening. Just a little bit more so I can have anchor points through the story. Yeah, you know that was my problem with Good Shepherd, is you can say like, oh, figure it out for yourself, okay. But it's when the whole thing's figured out for yourself, it's like, wait a minute, am I gonna have to do the same amount of research that you all did to make this story to understand this story? Because I'm not following along with Pro Star probably, Wars. yeah, <laughs> yeah, so yeah, or you know, you might have to watch it with the subtitles on so you can be reading it, yeah, you know yeah because it does fly by so fast and you know another one that's like that is tinker taylor soldier spy with uh um gary oldman i i mean i yes. I, I saw that in the theater and, and it was like oh cool like a, a really you know gritty interesting spy movie and i <sighs> but it, yes. it's it's not because I don't know. It's just told in the most droll way possible. Like there was a guy that fell asleep next to me and he woke up and he's like, did I miss anything? And I was, I was so angry. Like I wouldn't have told him if he did. It's like, no, just... <laughs> you just lie. You're not, you're not getting figured out anyway. Yeah. Um, so this, yeah, going back to this, this yeah, does oh, have that tone though. Yeah, like it very much has that tone, and there's definitely things with like the double and triple crosses that I didn't pick up on the first time, and I like I didn't know why, you know, her and James McAvoy were trying to kill each other. <laughs> Cause, yeah, because he just they seem like friends most of the most of the story yeah, the whole time, and and then it's like nope, I'm I'm gonna take the target out so that he doesn't get out. Like yeah, huh? where did that come from? Oh, but she just knows it all. Like oh my god right and then there was a whole thing where like because she was a triple agent in this you, you pick up on that no actually because because no, she I, I knew i knew i got to second i got to the double <laughs> okay yeah because she was a mi6 agent but then there's this character satchel that they don't know who's a, a double agent for the russians 
turns out that she was Satchel the whole time. And then there's the triple twist at the end where she's actually working for the CIA. Jesus. I guess, no, I guess I knew the MI6 and the CIA one. I guess I didn't piece the the uh, Russian thing. Yeah, yeah, and that's why she turns on, uh, or McAvoy turns on her there. and Oh, my God, like the Zodiac chart of, you know. It's like that Charlie Day meme from uh, Always Sunny in Philadelphia where it's like he's got crazy eyes and he's pointing to like a... Uh, uh, a bulletin board of like a bunch of different photos and documents and just like going crazy because he's like and then all this other stuff's happening that's what I feel like this movie was is the Charlie Day meme you know it's like and this is what's happening over here and all these things are connected yeah but that's what happens and you just <laughs> right you know and, and again I, I think that's a big part of the you know the, the spy life taking a toll is because her superiors are questioning, you know, they're, they're grilling her, you know, cause they, they don't, I don't know. It's just, it, it's endless. And the, the levels of paranoia that those people must have. Well, just right. The other thing is like, I don't know if this was like a joke or intentional in the movie is that, like spies in Berlin at the time seemed so prevalent that everyone was a spy. So it just seemed like it's not really clandestine at that point, right? If everyone is a spy and everyone knows that everyone's a spy, well, why why do you have to be so secretive? <laughs> you know, like we're all spying here. Mm -hmm. Let's like you can't pull one over on me because I know you're a spy, you know. So is it just the layers of spying, like the, the triple agency, you know? Yeah. Uh, no, I, so. I I think it is because, um, you know, like you even have the part in the beginning where uh, Percival, the James McAvoy character, like, you know, takes a Russian guy out who's part of their secret police. And it's just like, I, I feel like there's a lot of fiction set around this specific event of the the Berlin Wall falling because it was probably like the absolute height of this kind of spy modern day spy craft. I I wouldn't I wouldn't even be I mean it was probably happening all over the place. I be, I bet you everyone was in Berlin at the time, you know. Uh I would imagine that like Germany felt like it was all going to crumble. Like government was going to crumble during that time, you know. Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah, like, I, I lost my train of thought. It doesn't matter. I don't know where I was going to go. I don't know what I was going to say. Sometimes this happens. It's just another one of those triple crosses. <laughs> right, right. I do have something cool that I found. It's, I, I, it might just be public knowledge for everybody. But so this movie like overlapped with John Wick part two, right? Uh, so this was already going. And then uh, training for John Wick Chapter 2 was starting. They used the same stunt choreographers in both movies and the same teams like to do the stunts. So what happened was Charlize Theron and Keanu Reeves, Keanu Reeves became sparring partners and they became like competitive about it. That's really awesome that like, yeah, I know our movies are kind of doing the same thing right now, but mm -hmm. I guess we should fight each other, <laughs> you know? Right. And I, I wonder, like, because that was my, like, I, I said that to you earlier, where it was like, yeah, I feel like um, uh, Charlize Theron has the same abilities as Keanu Reeves does with being able to know how many uh, um, moves he can do in a row. Mm -hmm. I wonder if, like, he gave pointers to her on how to, like, be more proficient at that. And this is one of the things that I love about these movies, same with Nobody, same with this one, is the camera is still, right? And there's not a lot of edits to different uh, punches or kicks or throws or whatever, right? A lot of it's done in the same take, which I find really enjoyable and really exhilarating um, because we've gone from the shaky cam of John Wick 
right? And the nasty edits in Iron Fist from Netflix, where it was like, here's 43 seconds of fighting. And we did 100 edits, you know, in that 40 seconds. And it's like, we've gone from that, those two things to what Jackie Chan has been doing for his whole life, right? Where it's like, we're gonna, we're gonna calm down, and we're gonna actually show you what's going on. So I find that amazing. That's why I keep coming back for the John Wick movies is to see Keanu Reeves have a, a two minute fight sequence where there's not an edit there, you know, mm-hmm. it's awesome. That might be an exaggeration, but it's like, it's definitely not a half second here. And then we're going to cut to something else, or we're going to put the world's heaviest gyroscope on the side of this camera. So we can't even see what's going on. Like in the Bourne movies, you know, I don't think anyone saw any fight sequences. That's my joke in any of the Bourne movies because the shaky cam was all over the place and no one saw shit. Yeah. They just say that they saw something, you yeah. know? So um, I'm glad to see that in these movies where it's like, yes, thank you. I can I can see the fight sequence now, you know? And it's awesome. Well, and there's something that's more immersive about it, just knowing that the actors, they're... Doing it. You know, that you yeah. can see them... Yeah. Would... Apparently, one more thing. In her training, she would grit her teeth a lot. She actually broke one of her front teeth from gritting during training. So, those are fake now. Oh, wow. For Charlize. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah, that's that's awesome for the commitment. But, man, I wouldn't want to be any part of that type of training gritting my teeth so much that I'm breaking them. Well, and, you know, just the levels of commitment to getting tossed around like she did is... Now, it's it's impressive. We've said that enough. Um, Would you be surprised to know that the graphic novel didn't have very many action scenes in it? No, I wouldn't be surprised. Um, I think action in comic books is like one of the hardest things to do. You know, especially like fight sequences. You can have like splash pages and stuff like that. But I think it's really hard to equate motion to this extreme in a comic book, you know? Well, yeah. Um I I can't think of a single car chase that's actually been exciting in a comic book. In a comic. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh no, I, I just thought it was fascinating because, you know, this loosely adapts i mean it, it actually very closely adapts the coldest city um but it's so different you know because of the way that they use their color palette to create stark images instead of black and white the music is nowhere to be found obviously because that doesn't work in a comic book and there's a lot you know like i feel like one of the things that people take away from this even if they don't follow the plot at all is the really frenetic action sequences which is not none of these are real signatures of the source material so i I, I don't know i just thought it was kind of fascinating how you can be like you know you know what it'd be great we're gonna we're gonna take this comic and that's gonna be the script but we're gonna do all this other stuff and go in the other direction yeah um I, I know that this was a passion project for Charlize. She, she read the book and loved it and wanted to make a movie. She's make it into a movie. She's an executive producer on this and actually brought this idea to the director, you know, and was like, I, I think you'd be a great asset for this movie. Um, and this was also on the heels of Fury Road, you know? So it's like she, I think she was like exhilarated to do something like this. Um, but I think in, in, in with what you're saying, I think it was the plot that was interesting, not necessarily like, oh, this could be an action movie. Mm-hmm. And the only thing I know that they did change was the um, introduction of the the character she meets at the bar, right? Who seems like we kind of know she's a spy ish, mm-hmm. maybe spy adjacent. <laughs> I, I don't know, and um. That was the only addition to it. Um, 
And I, I guess they had to be like really careful because they didn't want to have it be like a lesbian scene where you're like, oh yeah, Charlize has a lesbian scene in this movie and that's what they talk about. But it, she, they were trying to illustrate that like the character would do absolutely anything to get information out of people, you know? Yeah. So that was like the whole reason why the scene was there in the, the first place, you know? But that was like the only addition to it. So I'm curious if like they just used the the comic book as an an outline for the story and then, you know, just went haywire. Absolutely bonkers with the action sequences, you mm -hmm. know? Yeah, because so. we, we can use this as a vehicle to, you know, cr create a more, right. like, like a different kind of action movie, but still have that core of... Uh, you know the the, like grit and the, the grit and the realism right right so it's pretty cool and part two is coming you know is, is that the, official because yeah. they've been talking about it for a while yeah like recently within like the last couple months like it's been brought back up on the table and they're like yep we're doing it just don't know exactly when so hmm. but you know, this movie is like what? Like it came out in like 2017. It seems really weird to like go five years and not have a sequel to something like this. Mm -hmm. But we also gotta realize like COVID was in there. You know, like yeah, there there's got to have been so many movies we don't know about that were greenlit that are just kind of like still in the bottleneck coming down because of COVID. You know, like yep, we greenlit this, but COVID sucked, so we're pushing it back. You know. So, or just or, fell apart completely. Right, right. So, it'll be interesting to see what happens. But yeah, I would love to see this character more. Um, I, I like you said, I don't want there to be team ups, right? Like, I I don't need Bob Odenkirk to fight alongside John Wick or with you know Charlize Theron in there. Mm -hmm. I, I'm referring to Keanu Reeves, I guess, now as John Wick permanently. We'll just. He is no longer Keanu Reeves. He's transcended into the character that he's played. Yeah, you know. Well, I, so. I think we pointed out in that episode too that like he there, that movie had an actual title, and he just kept telling people, "I'm making this movie called John Wick," <laughs> and that and that became the title. <laughs> oh shit! I don't remember that, but that's a uh, that's awesome. And we're just <laughs> yeah. I play a character called John Wick. Oh, what's the movie called? Oh, it's, I don't know. We'll just call it John Wick. It's this really cool thing. It's called John Wick. Um, yeah, I, I don't want a connected universe. Um, I like that the the Atomic Blonde is separate enough from the others that take place in modern day where at least that won't be a direct overlap. Right. Even, even if they tried to go in that direction. There is a sequel novel called the coldest winter but from what i understand she's not in it and it's all about the percival character and it's, it's oh, actually okay. it's actually a prequel okay so i don't know maybe the whole thing with setting up the the triple cross as the cia agent was their way of kind of like leaving the door open for a sequel because that was kind of something where it's like do we really need this this feels kind of like we we didn't really need another turn on top of all these other turns, you know. Right. So to have that just <laughs> felt kind of unnecessary, Un unless it's like, oh no, she's coming to work for us now because MI six burned yeah. her or something. Yeah, I mean, if she makes another turn, she's just back to the beginning, right? Like, <laughs> like yeah, I mean, who's how many left? how many turns can you make? Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Um, I I thought this was cool. It was a lot of fun to revisit. Oh yeah, it's up there for me. Um, there, there's been like a few, a few times. I don't know, maybe in the past five or six years, where I felt like movie making for this type of action, uh, or just skill level, not necessarily move movie making, but. Uh, skill level to have the right people in the right spot to to make something really unique um and i think we're, we're we've finally like gotten over the hill of 
making things look flashy and cool to then like let's get beyond that and actually like show them show an audience the fight you know um and it's really nice to see it like it was super exhilarating in the daredevil television show uh with the first two seasons with the hallway fight sequences uh john wick has always delivered and then to see it again in something like this uh it's just awesome when you have examples and in nobody as well when you have examples of like this as a like kind of a, a pedestal on what people should be doing in a in a hand-to-hand combat sequence like i'm glad that there's examples out there like this now you mm-hmm. know like do it like this this is how you get a fan this is how you get like an exhilarating sequence don't give me 50 million edits in 10 minutes you know uh it's nauseating don't make a shaky cam to, and, and have that be the vi- vehicle for frenetic energy you know uh so it's nice to have have the visuals recalibrated to something like this following me no it's yeah. and that, that's well said um i just i i'm really curious to see like how far you can push the envelope with something like this because you know it, it's like every every iteration of action movies at least in in my lifetime has always felt like like, you know, you look at the stuff in the 80s and it's some pretty silly shit. But at the time, you're like, oh my God, this is amazing. Like, I I totally believe that Arnold as commando could just walk through, you know, gun down a whole thing or, or Stallone could do that or whatever. And then, you know, 20, 30 years later, you see like the modern version of that. And it's like, no, this is the real stuff. And it's like. I don't feel like we'll ever get to a point where this doesn't age well. The only thing I was going to add to that is it's just always fascinating to see like where the envelope gets pushed. Yeah. Well, it's exciting, right? You know, maybe we'll see all these things with like, you know, CGI faces of licensed action heroes. All right. (laughs) (laughs) You thought this movie was mediocre. I that it no 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 don't say oh I didn't really say that it's kind of what you said right in the beginning I didn't dislike it I I did say that right in the beginning I didn't yeah. dislike it and um, yeah I don't know I I just it's probably has it it's like a bunch of like little minor things like little minor quibbles that I'm probably making a mountain out of a molehill with. I would say uh, that that's accurate. I I think that... uh, Without even knowing what you're going to say. All right. Well, podcast (laughs) over. (laughs) We know how this is going to go.